want apple juice. Lucas wants apple juice. I know, I heard him can say I that. Can I have apple juice? Yeah, you can have apple juice. Can I have soda? Yes, you can have soda. Can I press that button? No, you can't press that button. Why? Because that's going to play the theme song. I'm not ready to start Click. the pot. Welcome back to another edition of the show, wherever you found me. You could have found me on any streaming service because we're on every streaming service. Uh, perhaps HiPodOnDad.com or maybe you found me on Audible, Spotify, anywhere that offers podcasts. I am available. And if you found me in any of those places, please like, subscribe, give me a hug. Come on, man. Show me some love. Do it. Tell people all about this podcast. It means a lot to me. And this week is a big one. For me and for the site and for the entire high brand uh, that we've been doing for a while because it is the five-year anniversary of highblogomdad.com. That's right. I started the first week of February 2017, which feels like yesterday, but it's not because it's now 2022, which is pretty insane. In that time, my life has changed tremendously, and this blog was a big part of it. I have changed my view on you know how I approach my son to others. My son has been through a lot. Lucas, who was really the inspiration for this blog. I have two kids. Uh, my son's autism and a post that I wrote about him that I'll get to in a second before the blog even began was really the precursor to all this because I talked so little about him. I talked about my daughter. My daughter's neurotypical. She's three years older than him. I love her to death and I have a unique relationship with both of these kids unlike anybody else in the world. The reason why my son, though, is the focal point is because I hadn't spoken much about him prior to this blog. In fact, um, both personally with people, I felt a little uneasy about it, and especially to others in this grand way. So it was a big deal for me. And what I did this week to commemorate that is I, I published two articles on High Blog on Dad that have both not been featured on the blog. They both were a part of World Wrestling Insanity, which was my wrestling page years ago. It is now defunct. It is not available online. It was a comedy site where I managed 15 different writers. I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of posts that were all in the comedy realm. So I think you guys know with everybody being canceled by people going back and finding things they said that maybe weren't politically correct. I didn't want that responsibility. I didn't want to have to go through all my stuff and all this stuff that I don't want to reread from writers. So the site came down a few years ago in that respect. But with it came down these two pieces that meant a lot to me. Uh, I have them all on my hard drive. I have all my JG's Raw Insanity. If you guys know what that is, it was my my post. It was the the thing that really led to the birth of World Wrestling Insanity, my first book. Um, a lot of the interviews that I used to do on our pay site, which was Club WWI, are now on YouTube for free. I interviewed hundreds of wrestlers. I did so much different work and stuff out there. Maybe one day there'll be a place for those as well. I do own a few other domains that I was interested in maybe putting some of my old work back online. But I took it down. And being down, it took away two really life-changing pieces that I wrote. The first one that I put up on Tuesday, which is a rare day for a post to go up on High Blog, was about my quintuple bypass. It was called JG's Quintuple Bypass Insanity. It was based, uh, at least in title, 
on past writings that I did, which was Raw Insanity based on Monday Night Raw. I wrote that in my hospital room when I had my quintuple bypass. I've talked about it on here before too. I was healthy. Um, I'm healthier now. Now I'm, you know, I'm a Greek god. Back then I was uh, I was healthy. I'd always gotten kind of, you know, good reports from the doctor, pats on the back, way to go. Had heart problems in my family. No one talked about it though. A lot of the hard things that went on in my family were kind of swept under the rug. People didn't like to talk about our flaws. And it was funny because for certain people, when they faced heart problems, it was, you know, our family has heart problems. But when I faced heart problems, it was kind of, we don't have any heart. So it was always an issue. Nobody knew. I never knew for sure what the history was until I learned it. When I went to the doctor that day after having this heart attack, which apparently I had been having heart attacks, I was 35 years old, not considered obese, not considered high risk. And I had been having heart attacks. I didn't even know it. I didn't write about it in the post, but I remember being at a friend's house holding a cup of coffee once and my hand was tingling and I dropped the cup and everyone looked at me like there was something wrong with me. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I always thought it was because I drank coffee too much, all these different things. In reality, it was just I was having these heart attacks. So when I went to the walk-in center that day and they transferred me to the hospital, that's when I found out that I had a genetic issue. My hearts were so substantially uh, my arteries, I should say, were so substantially blocked that there was no way I could have done it myself. It was insane. They're like, dude, you could eat pounds of bacon every day and be like 60 and not kind of the kind of blockage that you had. I had an incredible amount of blockage. And that was scary in its own right because it kind of meant that I was somewhat screwed. Whatever I did, you know, I was in trouble. It could come back. It could happen again. So I went out of my way to not put myself in that situation. I don't eat fried foods. I don't eat meat uh, except for fish. That's all I eat. I exercise every day. I do half an hour of cardio. Healthy. I try to keep myself moving. I try to keep myself stress-free. And that's one of the biggest changes that I had from the old days because I, I grew up in an environment where everybody was mad and a place where everyone got upset. And now I don't do that. I get upset. Yeah, I get angry at times. It's, it's rare. And little things don't bother me. If I drop a, a cup of water on the floor, I just I watch it, I pick it up when I'm done. I don't scream, I don't yell, I don't freak out. Why are you doing this? I don't. I don't get red. I don't do that thing where I yell to the point where my voice hurts. Don't do that. And these are things that I did throughout my life. Not constantly, but enough that it wasn't good. I always had that... It wasn't really anxiety, but anger. And I did have anxiety when I was younger. Yeah, I would say that. But after my heart surgery, I didn't have it anymore. A lot of that stuff went away to the point where I've had jobs where I've had to tell people I work with. I'm like, look, I don't stress. That doesn't mean that I don't think that what we're doing is important. I'll get it done, but I don't stress out. And when people try to stress me out, I almost take it personally because people will do that. Oh my God, did you hear what happened? I'm like, dude, dude sit down. Don't do that. Uh, don't get me like that. Why, why, are you, why is it important to you that I'm worried? I don't like that. It's led to some funny moments. I once had a boss a few years ago, 2016. It was the worst job I ever had in my life. And it was this, well, oof, that's a big statement. I don't know if that's true. Well, it's up there. Let's say that. And I remember I was working on a website for this company. I was putting up the prices and I knew I was quitting. I knew I was leaving. And the woman was pretty nuts. And she goes, I want you to make sure that the prices on that website are right. Because in two months, when we go live with that, if the prices aren't right, I'm going to be like fire. Like that. And I laughed in her face and she looked at me and I'm like, I'm sorry, just the way you said it. It's funny, man. I don't, and it changes your life when you don't let other people stress you. Suddenly they can't. And that's, that goes away. It almost, I get resentful of it. 
And I changed my life. And I wrote a blog about it. And that was the blog that I put up on high blog, you know. That was the first time I really spoke about my personal life on World Wrestling Insanity. It was a big, you know, I, I really deviated from the norm with that. And I put it out there for everybody. And I remember learning about the effect that writing has on me and how much I love it. I could write very quickly. I enjoy writing. It's a big thing for me. Um, I do it quickly and I, I try to do it well-researched as much as possible. I could write, I think, quicker than a lot of people. And it's something that I've told my daughter is important. My daughter's a good writer. And I see a lot of the things that I do in her when she puts things together. And she is like me where she doesn't understand the things that you're good at. You don't know that you're good at because you think you're good. You don't look at your own writing and go, I'm a great writer, look at me. The way you know you're good at something, whether it's writing or basketball or baseball or, you know, I don't know, pole vaulting, bocce ball, is that you're shocked that everybody else can't just do it the way you do it. But I didn't realize the effect that it had on me until I was in that hospital bed, because what happened was I started writing that blog, this, this post called JG's Quintuple Bypass Insanity. And as I was writing it, all of a sudden, all these nurses came running in. And they're like, what are you doing? What's happening? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Apparently, my heart rate had spiked when I started writing. It was such a weird feeling. And I knew that feeling because I still get it sometimes. And I'm really writing something. And I'm really getting into it. There was a time where I could write things. And still, depending on what I'm writing about or if I'm reviewing something or whatever, where I, I can actually close my eyes and I put my hands back. It's almost like playing the piano. I was like, I just type super fast and just get it all out of me. And that happened in the hospital. And that's when they came running in. And I knew it was an important thing to write when I put it together. I enjoy reading it back. I haven't read it in, in years because it was the freshest take on what I had just gone through. Everything, including when they wanted to send me home after the heart attack. But tell me the truth, huh? You do a little Viagra, huh? A little heroin, a little cocaine. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I'm, I had a heart attack. I'm not BSing you. So I always think about how they could have sent me home, how they could have missed it. And that one cardiologist telling me that I was going to be the guy who was going to drop dead at 40 that nobody expected. And I wasn't. I'm now past 40, shut up, and I'm alive. And it means a lot to me. So I was glad that I put that out there and I'm glad that I finally have that out on High Blog, I'm Dad. The one on Wednesday, though, was probably the most important thing I had ever written up to that point and since that point. And it was called My Son Lucas. And that was the post that really kicked off High Blog, I'm Dad months later. It was the first time I had spoken in a public setting about my son and about his autism. It was so long ago that I still said autistic. I don't say it anymore. For, I've gone over this back and forth, the reason why. Um, I think when you say, for me personally, you can say whatever you want, but to say like my, my autistic son, I feel like it puts autism before the fact that he's my son. He's a person first. He's not an autistic child. He's a child with autism. That's just how I see it. I know people see it differently, but this gives you an idea of how early it was. And I had never spoken about him having autism in a public setting. I had rarely spoken about it around people in general in my life. Kept it to myself. I dealt with a lot of dark moments. And I wrote on Monday about some of those um, this past week, about some of the things people had said to me during those dark moments of his diagnosis and sending him to his you know, special needs preschool and, and just really not being able to process a lot of what I dealt with. And somebody had suggested to me that I put this post online. Why don't you write about him? You like to write? And I was really, and I never really talked about this either, but like I was done with wrestling. I had been writing about wrestling since 2002. 
something I loved as a kid. And the irony of it all is that I had almost stopped watching it right before I started writing about it. What happened was I got bored of it. I got older. When I was a kid, it was my thing, man. I loved it. I had all the wrestling figures. I had gone to shows. I lived it. When you love something, whether it's wrestling, I would imagine comic books and sports and things like that. That's all you think about. It was all I thought about as a kid. Everything was wrestling. I drew wrestlers. I talked about wrestlers. Everything was wrestling. Loved it. But at that point, I was in my 20s. And I remember there was a show that they had done. I remember the show, too, where they were trying to figure out who had attacked Shawn Michaels. All right, take you guys behind the scenes. It was, it was who would attack Shawn Michaels. Nobody knew who attacked Shawn Michaels. And this one wrestler, Triple H, who I did not like, um, not like as a bad guy, I just didn't like him. I thought it was like he was boring. He's actually the son-in-law of the owner. So I kind of felt like when he was on TV, like he was pushing himself, as they say. And he had gone on TV and it was a story. Now you watch a story play out on TV, any whether it's a TV show or a movie or a book, whatever you're reading a story of, you want it to be captivating. You want it to be exciting. And they're trying to figure out who attacked Shawn Michaels. And Triple H went out there, I didn't do it, it wasn't me. And you're like, all right, it wasn't him. And I was excited. I'm like, all right, good. It's going to be a different person because it's always he was always the guy at the end. Said it wasn't him. They're trying to figure out who it was. And in the end, it was Triple H. And I thought to myself, this is so boring. I don't enjoy this. And I was going to stop writing. Uh, stop watching, I should say. And I had gone online. And now I was only reading the results of pro wrestling matches. I wasn't watching it for like a week or two. And I had gone on to one of the sites that I like to read to get wrestling results and they were looking for writers and I like to write. I was working in sales at the time. I was doing telemarketing. It's awful. And I had written to him, I'd like to write for your site. And I started writing for the site and it kind of pulled me back into pro wrestling. So I was already on the cusp of leaving when I started. And I ended up doing this for 15 years. I, I wrote for this site for a few years. I wrote for pro wrestling illustrated magazine. I wrote for WWE magazine. I wrote for impact wrestling's website. I wrote for power slam magazine. I was on XM radio. I was the wrestling guy with Mauro Ronaldo on his MMA podcast. I was, I was everywhere. I was in Newsday. I was in the daily news. I was in the New York post. I wrote two books. I did a lot. I really lived my childhood dream because as a kid, I wanted to write about wrestling. I remember I used to write, you know, little wrestling magazines and stuff. And I had done it. And what I had started to notice was things were repeating, right? So things that I wrote about in like 2004, it was now like 10 years later, 2013, 14, and the same stories were happening again. And I was writing about how bored I was watching the same stuff, but a lot of the fans were new. They were young. And I felt like that old guy who's out there going, hey, stop it. I didn't want to be that. This is a, it's supposed to be entertainment. It was entertainment for young people, it was entertainment. For kids, I it was for people to experience the feeling that I had as a kid. And here I was as a writer, kind of, you know, pooping on it, for lack of a better term. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And I'd gotten sick of it. Plus, I knew a lot of the people in, in professional wrestling. I'd interviewed people. I had seen things. I think I had told the story. They had used um, one of the wrestlers I had interviewed had passed away. His father was a famous wrestler. And they had used his death as kind of a, a fodder. They, they made fun of him a bit, even though he was dead on WWE TV, which is something that they would do. That really left a bad taste in my mouth. I had lost people that I was friends with in professional wrestling, Lance Cade, who uh, his death kind of affected me. And then to know these famous people and then to go online and, you know, read the fans kind of trashing them, which is what they do. If you're a celebrity, you get trashed online, whether you're alive or dead. So if you know somebody who died, it's very rare that you get to read people say terrible things about them. All that stuff happened. It all bothered me. And it got to me. You know, I got my issues. I'm an emotional guy. And I didn't want to do it anymore. And I had tried to kind of get away from it a little bit. And I, I rebranded the site. It was We Want Insanity. Kept the WWI going. 
Um, and I started writing things about like how to mess with your friends on social media and trying to do comedy things. We we opened up to more you know TV centric writing, and I did whatever I could to rebrand and get out of the wrestling aspect because I was sick of it, and I didn't know what to do with myself. And it had gotten to the point where I'd come up with the idea of I'm going to do a video show about pro wrestling. I'm going to do like the daily show of pro wrestling. And I'd gone out, I bought a green screen. I had gone on Fiverr and I was going to make a, an opening. And this whole thing was all planned out. And then somebody had suggested I write about Lucas. They said, you love Lucas. You talk about Lucas. I was, why don't you write about him? And my fear was the reaction. Because wrestling fans, much like any fans of an industry that they feel is theirs, whether it's comic books, sports, whatever, can be vile. And they were. I received letters from people in wrestling telling me how much they loved it. John Moxley wrote me a, an email when it first came out. You know, Nick Dinsmore told me that he read it. You know, when I interviewed him, all these people had read my book. People liked it. There was very little negativity from anybody except for pro wrestling fans who, well, I didn't learn anything from this book. Meanwhile, I was printing memos and secrets and things that I found, and I was proud of it. We did in pro wrestling. So to write about my son who had autism was the biggest leap of faith I ever took in my life, but I did it. And the reaction was good. And it felt better. And it felt good to be able to write about him because I had so much to say, so many stories to share, so many things that I had kept inside that I wanted to put out there. And I did. And it made me so proud to be able to do that, to be an advocate for him, to be proud of him, to talk about my daughter and, and the wonderful things she does. My goal in life had always been to just write, write about things that I like, not write about, you know, I mean, wrestling was great, but I was writing about someone else's art. I wanted to make my own art. I wanted to talk about my own life. And this allowed me to do that. So this article meant a lot to me. My son, Lucas, nonverbal. He's still nonverbal today. Something that if I'd been able to turn back the clock and tell myself years ago when he was a baby, like he's going to be nonverbal at 10 years old, I would have freaked out, but it's fine. And I got to write that at High Blog on Dad. I got to write pieces about that, about how, you know, I think the line that I used to use in the beginning was, you know, even when things don't turn out all right, they are. It just is. It's just the normal. Things that you would tell yourself, if this ever happens, my life is going to be terrible. They might happen and your life might not be terrible. Your life might be great. Our life is great. And I had that opportunity to do that. So I was really proud to be able to share that with you guys. And in the last five years to go back through these posts and see how Lucas has changed and I've changed and to read back on things that I used to write about that he doesn't even do anymore, like running. I have an old article about how he was a runner called A Running Fear. He doesn't run anymore. Um, he's kind of chill, you know? So it's weird to be able to go back through the years and see the changes. I used to always say that when you have a child who has a special need, or is on the autism spectrum, it's important to remember what he does today because those are the things that he doesn't do tomorrow or does do tomorrow. You know, all those things, you have to keep track of what's happening now to be able to appreciate what happens then. And this blog has allowed me to do that. So it means a lot to me. Thank you guys for doing that. And please check these two pieces out Tuesday and Wednesday. JG's Quintuple Bypass Insanity. My son, Lucas, both originally appearing on World Wrestling Insanity, now on highblogomdad.com, written in 2012 and 2016, respectively. Thank you. On Monday, I wrote another one that I think a lot of people related to, and it's gotten a huge amount of feedback. It means a lot to me. If you guys haven't checked it out, go to Facebook. High Blog I'm Dad is on Facebook. That is pretty much the hub for my social media. I know I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Eh. Everywhere you want to find me personally, hi, James Gutman. 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, but High Blog I'm Dad on Facebook is really where a lot of the things go up. It's where the most uh, reaction comes from, where people write and people respond. And some posts get a huge reaction on Facebook. I know um, my nonverbal son is a snazzy dresser, I think was the name of it. That one's got a huge response. Or I'm sorry, my son drank your coffee. That was another one that got a, a lot of people on it. And this one is definitely right along those lines. A um, lot of reactions, a lot of comments. Shocking things people say to special needs parents. And these were all true stories across the board about some shocking things people have said to me as a special needs parent. I've dealt with bizarre ones. Like a, like a relative who, at the time of his diagnosis, kept telling me how smart he was when he was doing things that weren't smart, in my opinion. And I don't know that you wouldn't call smart. Things like he would do his stimming things where he gets excited. And to this day, he still does it. He goes on his iPad, he gets excited, he claps, he jumps. It's funny, it's cute. I love watching him do it. But there's nothing smart about it. It would be as if somebody was watching you, you know, watch television and be like, it's so smart the way you watch television. And be like, that's not the way you use that word. Same thing with this. And this woman kept saying it to me. And I started to feel like she was doing it to get under my skin because eventually when I went, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep saying he's smart? She goes, oh, you don't think he's smart? So I don't know, man. Maybe it was done because she wanted to talk about his autism, didn't want to be the first one to bring it up. It was really weird. But that was something that happened. Or the time somebody asked me, even though he's nonverbal, um, what he calls his sister. What does he call her? Sissy? Sister? No, that's weird. And no, he doesn't talk. You know, he's, you know, he's nonverbal. And this person looks at him and she goes, uh, she goes, oh, he talks. Yes, you do. Don't listen to daddy. He's silly. You talk. I'm like, this lady's a nutcase too. People want you to play act with them. And people want to be nosy. I've had people be nosy when they know he doesn't talk. Does he tell, does he tell you he likes school? He's nonverbal. Now you know. There you go. You asked your question. I had that in a mommy and me class or, you know, somebody who told me they don't buy him gifts because he doesn't care about gifts. And I said, well, you should still buy him a gift. And they were like, well, you have to pretend? That bothered me. So you get these things that bother you. And it's kind of a, a thing that a lot of parents deal with, a lot of special needs parents. Jasmine James, one of the people who like High Blog on Dad on Facebook, had even commented, this is a shared experience of special needs parents. I've heard some awful things too. Sometimes I laugh in disbelief of the ignorance. Other times they cut deep and destroy my sense of community. I'm a natural lover of hope, but even I am learning to walk away when there's no hope. And I thought that was a great statement uh, and one that really you could take with you and you can think about because it's true. You know, sometimes you have to walk away from those conversations. Early on, it used to really get to me. It used to really bother me because, you know, I didn't know my kid. He was little. I didn't know if he was ever going to talk. I felt like I had done something wrong. So hearing those things can cut you. Now, we've had each other for a while. I know what makes him special. I know what makes him unique. I know the ways in which he's smart. So if somebody were to say to me, oh, he's so smart, I can have a reply that explains, yeah, he is. He does this, he does that. We do this, we do that. But back then, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what he was going to end up doing. It was scary. So you don't know how to handle it. So if you're one of those people in that situation, especially early on, sometimes you just have to walk away and be like, hmm. I don't need to hear this. Amanda Shreve, who is, you know, one of the top fans. She she did the moment of insanity intro right when this podcast first began. Always has great things to say. Always comments uh, on a lot of these posts that I heard a few of those and also had someone tell me, quote, there is nothing wrong with them. Right. You get those once in a while, those people who like to tell you, you know, there's nothing wrong. You're as if you asked like half the time you don't even ask, you know, they'd be like, I wouldn't worry. It's like, I didn't say I was worried. What are you talking about? She says, people still say dumb things, but I handle it a lot better than I used to. 
Sometimes it's the looks they give without saying anything at all that is worse for me. And I totally, totally agree with Amanda. That is one of those things where you look around you and you're trying to see who is watching, who has an opinion that they're not voicing, who is glaring. You know, I had written a post a little while ago called The Boy in My Son's Window. And it was about the time we were out at a meal for Father's Day and there was a kid and his family watching us through the window. They were seated outside, we were seated inside, and they're watching my son on his iPad and it looks like they're laughing at him. And I was fuming, like stewing at the table. And I wanted to, I was like looking out of the corner of my eye and I'm trying not to stare at them because I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna throw down with these people. And what are they doing? I wasn't sure if they were laughing at him. And finally, when I looked up to Lily, you know, lock eyes with his family, I realized that the kid outside with the family also had special needs. He was, you know, 10, 11 years old, bouncing on his dad's lap, running around, laughing. And he had the exact same iPad as my son that my son was using. And that's why they were watching. That's why they were laughing. And I remember that really hit me that moment. I wrote about that too. I thought it was um, an important thing to write about. So yeah, I think we all deal with it. We've all had to handle rude people, bad situations, and you make it through. So if you're dealing with that, especially if you were a newly diagnosed parent or if you're a, a parent with a young child who is displaying special needs, delays on the autism spectrum, um, this is something that we all just endure. But as time goes on, it gets easier to handle. They don't go away. People don't stop saying stupid things. People will say stupid things about anything forever. Um, the only thing that really changes is how we handle it in our world and what we know our situation to be. So it's important. So thank you uh, to everybody who commented. Go to Facebook. You can comment on all of these. You can even comment right on the blog itself. I know, I don't know. I don't really promote that part of it all, but you can always comment or even drop me a line on the contact form right on highblogomdad.com. It is always great to read from you guys and hear your opinions on anything. Uh, put your comments on Facebook or in that form as well. Drop me an email and maybe I'll include them here as well when talking about some of these posts. Uh, it really is helpful and it allows me to understand kind of where everybody else is coming from and kind of figure out some of the best things to write about going forward that we can all relate to. So thank you so much. As I said before, I'm getting older. My son's getting older. We're all getting older. And sometimes you feel it. I feel it. How? Well. In my day, we had radio, and you couldn't see anything, and it was primitive and lousy, and we liked it. The thing that makes everybody feel old is a natural progression of time. And it's that progression of time based on uh, points in your own history, getting further and further away. I experienced it this week when I republished two of those pieces that we talked about earlier, one in 2012, one in 2016, blown away by how much time had truly passed uh, between both. And what's kind of funny is that the one that was published in 2016 feels like a long time ago. It does, I'll be honest with you. The fact that I hadn't spoken about my son, the fact that I hadn't shared that, it definitely does feel like five years. The other one, 10 years since my heart surgery, is kind of hard to wrap my head around because I remember, especially early on, them telling me that there was that five-year window of recovery. That was one of the funniest things that I read after my surgery. I felt good. I felt like I had made it. And then I read that the survival rate of most people in that five-year rate of recovery has gone up. And I thought, survival rate? What are you talking about? And I realized that there was kind of a ticker on there. And I don't know if it was based on older people getting a bypass or whatever. But now all of a sudden in my head, I was worried about this five-year layoff. But what ends up happening is in life, 
you go through events. Those events are new. They're current. They just happened. And before you know it, you're celebrating anniversaries of those events until eventually they're history. For me and for a lot of people my age, one of the most you know easily accessible ones is 9-11, September 11, 2001, which I remembered vividly. I had just started a new job. One week I was in this job. I've told the story before. I was doing telemarketing for a business-to-business sales company, selling bottleless water coolers, kill me. And I was calling companies and trying to get them to schedule, you know, um, appointments with our salespeople. And they would schedule the appointments and the salespeople would go and then they would say, I don't have an appointment with you. And then they would call us mad. And it was a big battle. I'll always remember there was a guy, his name was uh, Dave Dimmerman. Dave Dimmerman had a Hotmail account. And this is how early it was in the internet days because people didn't really know web addresses. And here we go. My email address is Dave. Dimmerman31 at hotmail.com. Hotmail.com. A hotmail. Dave Dimmerman was not a hotmail, but he thought this was the funniest joke. He was built, he looked like a bowling pin. Anyway, that's a side story. Dave and I started the same day at this company. We started on September 4th, 2001. And I say this because one week after I started was when I was supposed to be really getting into making phone calls to these companies to set up these appointments. And my list, believe it or not, was the World Trade Center. I had a list of all this paperwork. I had all these names in front of me and I was calling the World Trade Center. And that morning I had started making phone calls and I was getting such a weird message on the phone. I'd gotten there early. Figured I'd start calling when they got into the office. I was brand new. I wanted to impress people. And it was weird. It was like a busy signal and dial tone and something about all circuits are busy now. Didn't get it. My friend was like, you know, planes are hitting the World Trade Center. There was no TV there. The internet was still dial-up at this point. So I wasn't online. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I mean, the internet wasn't dial-up everywhere, just at this crappy place I worked at. And I remember my friend called me. He's like, planes crashing the World Trade Center. I'm like, what? And then he's on the phone with me, and he's at work. And he goes, wait, wait hold on a second. Pentagon's on fire? The Pentagon's on fire. I mean, the Pentagon's on fire. It was insane. And I'm going through the list, and now I'm seeing all the names of these people that worked for these companies in the World Trade Center who were gone. They were all gone. These were like, you know, uh, Morgan Stanley people and, and all the things that you heard about on the news. I think a lot of the names that were on that list that they read every year. And it really, it shook me, as the kids say. It was really a weird experience, but it was new and it was topical. And it was something that was happening right then and there. And I remember the country being different after 9-11. I remember driving down the street and there was a guy on the end of the highway and he was wearing an American flag outfit and he's holding flags in the air and people are honking at him. And everybody was rah-rah and it was such a big deal. And life went on. Then before you knew it, it was a year later. And then it was five years later. And these anniversaries just start piling up because life is happening. You're living, you're, you're getting married, you're having kids, you're moving on, you're graduating. All the things you're doing are happening around you as this big major event that to you just happened is now getting further and further away until eventually you get to the point where people are now born after this event that you thought was topical. People you can have a conversation with. We're in 2022. So there's people who are 21 years old who were born like after 9-11. It's freaking crazy. And it sneaks up on you because in your head, it just happened. Even the one year anniversary, oh, it's only been a year, five... It's just before you know it, it's history and it becomes a historic event. And 9-11 is one of those things that became a historic event. And I tell my daughter that she has one of those events in her life right now. It's COVID. COVID is her 9-11 moment 
where eventually she's going to have a conversation with somebody who was born either after COVID started or after COVID was over. And it's going to be weird. She's going to meet people who didn't know. You mean, you could, what was it like before you had to wear masks everywhere? You know, that kind of stuff. Or, you know, oh, you were alive during the COVID vaccine? This is going to be her old age moment. And it's crazy. And nothing makes you feel older than that. Running into people who don't know these things, don't remember those things. And there's an arrogance to not knowing those things too. And it's something that I try to do even as a kid, whether it was pop culture or history. I've always tried to learn about the things that came before me, right? TV shows, movies, uh, historical events. I know about them. I don't have to be alive for them. And people will question you on it. You know, you weren't alive during Vietnam. It's like, yeah, but I know about Vietnam. Like, you know about the things that came before you. But there's nothing worse than going to somebody about 9-11 or, you know, eventually with COVID with her and have them look at you and be like, I don't know, I wasn't born. I don't know it. Uh, whatever. It is what it is. You know, smack those kids. It's like, how dare you make me feel old? Because that makes me feel old. And I don't know. Just is what it is. And when those things happen, you need to sneak away. You need to get your head straight. And you need to get a little moment of sanity, which leads us to, again, man, best segue guy in the business. Give it up best segue guy in the business that leads us to the moment of sanity. Hi, Pod. This is your moment of sanity. This week's moment of sanity looks at how I've evolved as a person. And I will tell you a story that perfectly illustrated to me how I've evolved as a person and how I've, I guess I've grown, changed, learned about people around me. It's such a simple story too. It happened the other day. I brought my car in to be inspected. It was the very last day that I could do it before I got a ticket. Normally there would have been a time where I just wouldn't have done it and I would have waited until I got that ticket and then I would have done it as a frantic mess. Now I start to do it when it's needed to do. And for years I've been going to the same guy. It's a guy at a gas station whose name I thought was Reggie because he refers to a car's registration as a Reggie. And that was pretty much our conversations that we've had with each other. I would go in, um, and he would turn to me and go, uh, well, yeah, I just need your keys and your Reggie. I go, All right, thanks. His, his name uh, was is actually Richie, which is a little ironic. You know, you didn't really expect that one to be. Uh, so I went in there yesterday. I went to get my car inspected. And when I walked in, I had my mask on because it's a mask mandate. But then I saw he didn't have a mask on. The other guy didn't have a mask on. And he had signs up with things about the NFL being racist and, um, you know, pictures of guns. And it said, the government wants the Taliban to have these, but not you. And I went, I guess I don't need the mask. So I took the mask off, brought the car and gave him the keys, the whole nine yards. And I left. I've been going to this guy literally for 15 years. We never really had a personal conversation. Maybe now and again, thinking too about the car, but we don't really talk. We don't hang out. Uh, he knows me by sight. He doesn't know my name, you know. I don't really care. I don't want to have a relationship with the guy, but he's always been cool. He's the kind of guy that in the past, you know, he'll call me up on an inspection. Be like, hey, you know, listen, your car's good. It's all inspected, but are you going to need new brakes? You can get them now or uh, if not, you get them next time. All right, you know, I don't screw you. All right, cool. And then he hangs up, didn't charge me for the brakes. Next time I come in, I got to do brakes. I told you last time. I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. He's good. I brought my car in for problems before and he sent it back to me with no charge. Hey, nothing wrong with it. I don't know. Maybe you like just came on. You're right. Cool. Good guy. So I like him. So I came in yesterday to get my car and when i walked in he told me he goes yeah didn't see you pissed next time you're gonna need you know uh probably tires and brakes that's what you're gonna need next time i'm like all right i'm like, i'm gonna get rid of this thing anyway which i do i i'm done with this car i'm like i'm just i'm looking to get rid of it soon and then i'll be done with it and he turned to me and goes yeah hey, well you know it's clean 
That's a loaded statement. I don't know much about cars. I can fix certain things. I can pretty much YouTube anything. I used to have a Jeep and I YouTubed it when I would have power windows break inside and I would actually physically take off the door of my Jeep and I would replace the windows inside when I realized it was $500 to do it at the place or $50 to do it yourself. So I can do stuff. You know, I fix things around my house. I, I both cook and I, you know, fix things with carpentry. I, I do everything. I put together furniture and I, you know, make cookies. I'm, I'm a jack of all trades. I never understood the idea of, you know, real men do this. No, man, real men do everything. Real women do everything. If you really are a human being and an adult, you never want to have to rely on anybody else. So nobody has to cook for me and nobody has to put together my, you know, bookshelf. I do all that stuff. So with the car, I do the same thing. That said, I don't know a lot about cars. I'm not really a car guy. I don't really care about cars. It's like point A to point B. I don't want to you know, be in a crappy one, but if I have to be, whatever. It's all good. I'll, I'll drive anywhere in anything. I've had some pretty crazy cars through the years. So when the guy turns to me and goes, hey, it's clean, my brain goes in a lot of different directions on how to respond to this statement. And I thought to myself, and I do a lot of thinking in split seconds, I feel like hours, I thought if this was like five, ten years ago, I would have said to him, you know, yeah, well, I get it washed once in a while. And he would have thought I was a moron, right? Then I thought a few years after that, I probably would have said it as a joke. Yeah, well, I wash it. And he still, he still would have thought I was a moron. A little while after that, I probably would have said, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I keep it updated. I bring it in a lot, which he would have known wasn't true because I only bring it to him. And he would have been like, I haven't seen you in a year. And then it would have been this weird, awkward back and forth. I didn't do that. I simply said, yeah, it's good. It runs well. He's like, yeah, well, it's good. You take care of it. Good. And that was the end of the conversation. And I was so proud of myself for not making some stupid comment or trying to BS this guy. And that, I think, is the most important thing that I've learned as an adult and something that I learned years ago, but as time goes on, I, I try to hold on to that. And it's the idea of not like, just say, you don't know, like you don't have to know everything. I used to always feel unsure if I didn't know anything, especially when I was younger. Cause I felt like it meant you didn't belong in adulthood. Other people would say something, you know, well, the GDP is, you know, this, this year is looking to perhaps overtake the, uh, the gross domestic, you know, and they would say things. I had no idea what they were talking about, but yes, yes. GDP, AT&T, MCI. And like, it made no sense. I didn't know what I was doing. And they knew that I didn't know what I was doing. Now keep in mind, I can BS everybody. I'm, I'm pretty good like that. I could, I could talk my way in circles with people who know very little too. You know, and they will think I'm a genius on everything. I know just enough about anything to hold on a light conversation. That's something that's important too. There are movies that I've never seen that I know quotes from. I know plot lines, I know different things. I could talk to you about anything. We could talk about it, we're good. That said, you don't always have to do that. And I've learned not to do that. When I was a kid, I remember, and when I say kid, I mean like high school, there was this girl. And we were in this group and we were all talking and somebody had mentioned something. I mean, this tells you how little I, I remember about this. I just remember the general idea of it. Somebody had mentioned something. And I remember the girl turns around. She goes, I don't know what that is. And they're like, oh, well, it's blah, blah, blah. And they explained it. And I remember in that moment being really impressed with this girl because to me, I would never have done that up until then. I thought it was a... It was telling somebody that you were kind of stupid. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know things, you know. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want anybody to know I didn't know things. 
But when she did that, and when she said that, I suddenly realized everything she says is based on knowledge, right? So the fact that she's admitting that she doesn't know this one thing, it makes me more trusting of everything else she says. And that's what I wanted, and that's who I wanted to be, and that's what I wanted to be like. So I've tried to do that. I was proud of myself the other day. Reggie, Richie, Richie Reggie, proud of me too, I guess. I don't know. He's he's pretty hardcore, but if there's anything worth it, is my, my car's clean, you know? And uh, and even though I'm not 100% on what that means, I'm good with it. And so are you. Guys, that does it for me. Thank you again for five years of highblogomdad.com. It is a major thing for me really changed my life in so many ways I mean, my life has changed tremendously in that time but it's been a it's been a big deal so thank you i appreciate it i'll be back next friday with a brand new podcast and back monday wednesday new blogs as we continue into year six that does it for me until next time james gutman saying be well bye pod i'm done